I think that's what every cult needs. Uh, anyway, uh, we're starting the podcast. So, uh, hello, welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson. Uh, from the name of the podcast, uh, this is a historic day for the Philosophy podcast. This is kind of a, I don't know, a special edition, a redux, a, uh, an extended cut. I don't know really uh, what we, we will call this. Um, and we're wading into a bit of new territory. It's a return visit from one of our previous guests on the podcast. I guess that's what I would say. Uh, so I don't really know. Normally I ask people what their name is and then I ask them if they have a philosophy. I guess I probably won't. We'll only do half of that today. Uh, and then you can go back if you haven't heard uh, this person's original and you can listen to uh, them talk extensively. Uh, I think the longest philosophy episode that I've done uh, is uh, his previous one. Anyway, look, I'm banging on too much. Anyway, look, I'll, I'll just jump into it. None of this is actually helping. Uh, so guests, returning guest, uh, who are you? I'm Jared McKenna. Uh, now, Jared, you've been uh, previously on the podcast. Uh, yeah. You're a pastor. You're a God-botherer. Um, <laughs> this is true. Yeah, and uh, what is what does your Twitter profile say? There's a quote from me on there. There is a quote from me. Um, Jared McKenna is the kind of god botherer that I enjoy being bothered by. Yes. Thanks, Will. That's a good. I think that's a good sum- summary of uh, how it is that I feel about you. When I in, in my <laughs> it's mom- your quote, it did <laughs> right. But in my mo- yeah, I guess that is. <laughs> I was a bit amazed that it really neatly summed up my feelings about you, and then I realised, oh yeah, it was by me. So that that does make a lot of sense. I um. Uh, I don't know how funny today's podcast is going to be. I don't know. It's um, we may find moments of, you know, great humour in the middle of it, or it may be a discussion where uh, the nature of what we're talking about means that we don't really uh, find much funny in, to, uh, in what we're talking about today. I don't know. I'm not preempting it. I'm just probably giving the audience an indication mm. that um, we're pretty much going to explore one topic today and look it's something that is a great extension of you know some of the stuff you talked about on the previous episode in fact Hmm. if we're talking about a link to you know philosophy this is probably the best example we have had so far of somebody who is about to tell a story of literally living out in real life and enacting one of you know Hmm. their beliefs and their philosophies or a range of their beliefs and their philosophies uh so uh I think it'll be a very interesting story for the podcast, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all about it. We intentionally uh, did not start talking about it before the podcast starts, so I am pretty much at the same place as all the listeners Mm. on today's episode. And I guess this is what I want to say up front as well. We're going to talk about a topic that I have some knowledge of, uh, I do not have extensive knowledge of. Um, I saw Tom Ballard's show, that's a pretty good primer for what we're going to talk about today. Um, but I think what I would like to do mostly is, is listen. So uh, Mm. I know this is a long winded way of me talking constantly to say that I'm going to listen for most of the podcast, but I'm, I'm going to listen and I'm going to ask questions and and maybe occasionally I may ask some naive questions. Uh, the thing that I am not going to do is present the case for the other side. I know that sometimes people in interviews enjoy the idea that I will prosecute the other arguments. Uh, when it comes to this topic, you can find those other arguments in the daily newspapers <laughs> every day written by professionals who are being paid a lot of money to make those arguments. Mm. Uh, they are widely available. They will not be presented by me here today. If that pisses you off, that is absolutely fine. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> so uh, with all that said, Jared, uh, tell, me, tell me what you've been up to. Uh, I just got back from Manus, which is an island just um, north of Papua New Guinea's mainland. Um, it's very beautiful, and there's some really horrific things that our government are doing there. 
So uh, let's start with that because some people, uh, so maybe some of our international listeners mm. aren't familiar with this story at all, although it has been getting some coverage in places like the New York Times yeah. because it is an international shame uh, and disgrace what is happening. So give some the people some background on what is what is happening on Manus Island. Yeah, it's weird, Will. So um, the day that the um, they call it a processing center even though no one none of the refugees that are there have been processed for over 1500 days it's like over four and a half years but it's called a processing center and when it was uh, destroyed by the military was it yesterday the day before it was number one on Deutsche Welle's um, homepage it was number one on the BBC's international news homepage. It was number 17 and dropped to 20 on the ABC's homepage after a story of a guy being attacked by a crocodile and making it away. So in terms of priorities... Australia- and by the way, that happens in Australia like every third week. So <laughs> really shouldn't be that big news. That's right. Um So there's this strange thing why we aren't paying attention to it, but it's actually designed that way, like out of sight, out of mind. We we don't want to know what's actually going on. Okay, so that 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 idea of putting our problem somewhere else, because here's the starting point: there are people, there are displaced people all over the world. Yeah, refugees Mm. is a massive issue worldwide, and and the other thing is that Australia dis disproportionately is actually quite low numbers. Like, I know we always talk about this idea and we hear in the media that somehow we're going to be flooded by these mm. people. But compared to the rest of the world, the access to Australia uh, is actually pretty minimal and mm. you have to be pretty desperate to go through the risks that mm. it takes to get here. If you are caught uh, by the Australian Navy, is that who does it normally? Yeah. Right? You get sent to one of these processing centres. Yeah. And there you are getting processed. So... Firstly, let's go with the idea of outsourcing the problem. Yeah. What, what do you think the value of that is? Why why is that such a powerful tool when it comes to keeping us from knowing what's going on? Oh yeah, the dogs the dogs are angry about it as well. <laughs> I right. need to point out that Ramona and Winona are worked up. Yeah, there is no balance yeah. in this studio. They they both are very passionate about the issue as well. They know their family histories and that they're from elsewhere and they feel passionate about it. Maybe we should start with what the problem is. The problem, okay, cool. problem is um is that there's war and uh, people persecute other people groups. And while there is still war and while there is still persecuted people groups, there's going to be people who need safety. And after the Holocaust, uh, the Shoah, when six million Jews were experienced genocide in Nazi Germany, the world said, never again. We're not going to allow boats to be turned back like they were from places like the US. And instead, they said, it's we're going to make it a legal framework for people to find safety around the world. And that's all refugee means, Will, is somebody like you and me, only they need safety. So so the, the, the problem, um, if you want to frame it like that, is that these awful things happen to innocent people who need a safe place. And, of course, we need a way to process them. And in the 1970s, Australia was one of the leaders in how we process. So Mal- Malcolm Fraser, under a Liberal government... Uh, we were a regional leader in a compassionate response to refugees. We've done that previously. There's no reason we can't be doing it now. But instead of leading our neighbours, who are much poorer than us in the region, um, in compassion, we're leading them in cruelty and pushing our problems off to this 
um, very small island which is very poor who are really struggling to uphold their traditional customs of hospitality for what is actually our responsibility. So, okay, the Malcolm Turnbull thing is interesting to me because it's often argued in those places you can go and read in the newspapers uh, <laughs> that uh, the problem is, you know, these these people being able to integrate into Australian society. Mm. And I remember when Malcolm Fraser died, I happened to be in Melbourne and I walked out into the street the day after and there was a vigil held by uh, the refugees and families of refugees who had come wow. over and they were having like uh, speeches and like this like march to celebrate this man who had given them this great opportunity in this country. Mm. And you know what the rest of us did who were born here? Fuck all. <laughs> like none of us. Like none of us did anything for Malcolm to, Malcolm uh, Fraser when he died. Yeah. Like no, we didn't even do a comical put out, your, put out your trousers, you know, meme that went around the internet. We did nothing. These mm. people who've been given this opportunity were so incredibly grateful for it all these years later. And these people who have become integrated in an essential part of like you know our communities mm. so that was a side note so these people are fleeing persecution again in the papers you know you can read about the idea of well, well some of them are economic refugees okay well let's that's just a park that issue for another time maybe some mm. of them are i don't even care if they are to be honest like it, okay it's a good mix of people who are fl- yeah. fleeing war and genocide and a couple who wanted a better opportunity in a better country that, that's they, my they all family fit, story yeah, but yeah they yeah. all feel like they'll fit in well that's right some dude is willing to float across the ocean and risk all that to come here for a better opportunity he'll start a small business he ain't going on the dole he's, he's got a real get up and go attitude yeah. you know <laughs> totally yeah. and i think that's the the shocking, like when we actually do remember our family stories. Um, so my mum's side of the family, I think I've shared this with you before, a, a Russian Jews, dad's side, an Irish Catholic. It wasn't that long ago in Australia, we had signs in pubs that said, no dogs, no blacks, no Irish, no Chinamen. Right. Suddenly, uh, you know, uh, the Irish are recently white, um, so are Jewish. So um, good news for me to benefit from white supremacy. Uh, but if we actually pull that back and ask questions that maybe this is wrong, the whole thing that's set up. And we'll dispel out like what is being set up and what we saw. So um, for the last 24 days, all water, electricity, power and uh, uh, medical support was cut off in this centre as a way of driving the men out of this processing centre. So why had the men stayed? Because, yeah. again, like some of these questions are going to seem simplistic, but I think it's no, worth no, it's kind really of important. talking about this. Yeah. Which is, I think people would have seen vaguely, if you pay any attention to this, that the idea that the actual camp was shut, that people yeah. had been released into the community. Mm. A, is that even a real thing? Or B, what did that mean? C, why did the men stay in that case? Yeah, a lot of people are talking about that the new centres they set up weren't finished, and that's true, they're not finished. Others were talking about that uh, a lot of the men who were in there had experienced violence, um, including by being beaten by the police. Uh, some of the complexity of that story is that the police is actually uh, staffed, if you will, not from local Manusians, but from mainland Papua New Guinea. Uh, I met with leaders who talked about a young man in their community who had been killed by local police and they weren't getting any consequences or any way to pursue justice in terms of that. So those things are true. But the main reason is, and we'll get to this, but uh, I ended up spending 25 hours in the centre because we were caught by the Navy, um, the Papua New Guinean um, Navy. And so they're not allowed into the centre at all because... 
Good Friday, they played out this weird passion play where they f- the military fired their weapons into the centre after getting drunk at the military base next door. So Australia took the weapons off the military people and said you're not allowed in the actual base. And so we had to seek safety, seek refuge, ironically, in the refugee processing centre, which had been abandoned by everybody apart from these 423 the day that we were with them that were there. That centre, the reason why they didn't want to leave is because it's the first time that they've actually had any agency around their own future. So I I was there for 25 hours and found it, played games in terms of my mental health being there for, for that long. Imagine that over a week. I'm not sure. Imagine that over a month. Imagine that over coming up to five years. That's what these people have been through. Um, over 90% of them have been found to be genuine refugees. That means that, yes, they are fleeing war. Yes, their lives are at risk if they go home to their own country. I met a man who had been offered $25,000, his Rohingya, to go back to Myanmar, as in Burma, as in where there's a genocide happening at the moment. And this is the kind of craziness that the Australian government are offering people money to go back to a situation where they'll be killed because... People don't want people seeking safety, refugees in Australia. The financial aspect of this is probably something I don't want to get bogged down in, but Mm. is worth mentioning is just one of the greatest outrages of it all. Because, Mm. you know, the way that it gets spun by, you know, those who oppose these points of view is like the the idea that it's some sort of drain on our economy Mm. when what we're actually doing at the moment, this, this hideous thing we're doing at the moment is a drain on our economy a hideous like like a stupid financial black hole of money that we're like we are spending so much of like our money our money we work with it's about four billion dollars a year right to do really inhumane things to people to to trap people in the situation that i was in for only 25 hours and did a number on me and people who are then like i mean it wouldn't be justified if at the end of it they found that like 40% were genuine refugees. It wouldn't yeah. be justified. But yeah. the fact that they then find that 90% yeah. are and, genuine, and the reason the are number... genuine refugees. And that's, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of reasons also why even 90 might not be the, but even yeah. it, like even if it is 90, right? Yeah. Nine out of 10. Okay, you know what? Let's find 10 people in the fucking street and roll the dice out of nine out of 10 of them yeah. being okay. Like yeah, that totally. feels like pretty good odds to me. Yeah, that's you know right. what I mean. That's right. Anyway, it, it doesn't sorry. make it doesn't make any sense on any number of levels, and that's why um, uh, Father Dave, who I didn't met before, but he literally just put something up on tw- Twitter. Okay, so this is what I guess we should let's circle back and sure. start from where this sort of you know mission that you went on yeah started for you. So just set the scene and and tell us why. I mean because this is an issue and again I hope people have gone back and listened to the other episode yeah. if you haven't but you are not a fly by night person when it comes to you know <laughs> this issue. Yeah. You, you have a background in you know integrating refugees into Australia is mm. a, you know a passion of your work and your life mm. so something that you have runs on the board and literal runs on the board you know you're <laughs> not a person you know who people can go well what are you going to do what are you going to bring them over here and bring them into your house and integrate them into the community yeah actually yeah, yeah that's that what is I do. exactly <laughs> what I, yeah no that's yeah. <laughs> yeah no it works really well yeah, that's that is bag. what I do yeah <laughs> <laughs> so this particular thing, just set the scene of, you know, where it all started and run us through what happened. And sure. I'll try not to interrupt too much. No, no, that's fine. So when all power 
and food and literally the water and medical support was cut off at the Manising Processing Centre. A lot of people were really, really worried. And uh, I got a message on Twitter from uh, a church leader on this side of the country who I've never met before. And he knows about First Home Project and that I live with refugees. And he sent a message to myself and Father Bob, um, who's not quite up for international travel at at the moment. He's um, not as young as he used to be. And uh, Father Rod Bauer, who's famous for his signs that people know his church, and said, um, we should go. Like, the church should be there on the ground supporting. And I just tweeted back. And why? Why would, like... I just trying to just get in the mindset of, you know, you guys are all, you know, leaders in the, you know, religious community yeah. and also people who are, you know, probably saying some things or presenting, you know, your ideas in a way that is, you know, stands out from, you know, the way that they're presented in the mainstream. Um, what, what would be the purpose? Why would you do it? What, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like, I mean, just first off, we'll like if our shtick is like God is love. It looks pretty hypocritical if we don't actually love people. And um, we talk about like such, Jesus. Such found a literalist, though. Yeah. Like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe taking the Sermon on the Mount literally would be a good place for fundamentalists to start. They always want to do six day creation. I'm like, why not sell all you have and give to the poor? That's in there too. Like, um, so like actually being. Uh, they're seeing what we can see, how we can support these guys. Because something that a lot of people don't connect is that a lot of people in there for a bunch of reasons. Sometimes it's because um, because of your sexual orientation, you're persecuted in the country of origin. So uh, being gay or lesbian can mean it's unsafe when discovered, and so you become a refugee. I met people and that was their situation. Um, uh, what is uh, more common, very common, is the largest group of persecuted people in the world are Christians. Um, it doesn't happen in our part of the world, and it's not the kind of stuff that the Australian Christian lobby complain about, where it's like, oh, we used to have Christian values. And I'm like, mm, like what? Genocide of First Peoples? Like, what are these Christian values in our history? But real persecution um, of uh, people being tortured and, and all the rest. And so to be there and see them, but just anybody who's suffering, surely if if your thing's following Jesus, you, like, there's no asterisk next to love your neighbor. These are our neighbors and we're forcing them on our neighbors to the north. So we wanted to go and just see what was going on, how we can um, uh, bear witness is um, our God bothering language, but actually see what's happening, come back and tell the stories of the reality of that. And in the end, uh, it was only uh, Father Dave, who's famous this side of uh, the country for boxing. He teaches boxing to at-risk kids. Um, he's the oldest professional boxer in Australia. He actually uh, had a fight while he was over there to um, raise awareness about what was happening. He, like, he's a great guy. He's fully committed um, to people who are struggling. And so we went together with uh, Olivia. You um, are really like, I mean, you are painting the picture of quite like a Justice League. You know, you you all have your individual characteristics. The Jesusy and, Justice yeah, League. You all bring Boxing something. Boxing Father Dave. <laughs> Lack of haircut, Jared McKenna. <laughs> no, you be the like. You know, that's that's your look. That people right. like, immediately they're like, yeah, look at him. He's got dreadlocks. <laughs> the locals call me. He'll do something cool. <laughs> the locals call me Rasta Pasta. Oh, Rasta yeah, Pasta. See, Rasta Pasta. There's your superhero now. <laughs> You've got Father Rod doing all the signs. It's uh, like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I like it. Um, so we took with us um, Olivia uh, uh, Rousset, who's uh, 
like she is a journalist and a videographer. She exposed all the Abu Ghraib stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so she came with us and we, uh, we arranged to be smuggled in into the camp past the Navy, which we were successful getting in. So, getting out was a problem. Right. Spoilers. Let's not, yeah. let's not ruin the end of this uh, <laughs> excellent tale. But how do you arrange something like that? I mean, I do, you don't like, again, with everything on this podcast, please don't give away anything that you can't give away. But yeah. even in whatever general terms you can tell me, like how, how does something like that get arranged? Who knows who? Like, yeah. Yeah, we were joking about, like, if there is a court case, what we would say and whether it was an acceptable defense to say, like, it was the Holy Spirit who organized the trip. <laughs> like, whether whether that actually, like, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that would fly or, or not. Um, it was actually Father Dave who organized it, um, asked if I would come along. Uh, it turns out that the same people who organized uh, the New York Times journalist to get in there, uh-huh. um, Ben Doherty, the Guardian journalist to get in there, um, they were happy to let a bunch of God botherers get in there as well. So w- we went in um, with them. Uh, because this is one of the things, uh, it, regardless of where you ended up at the end of it, um, people are allowed to believe different things. Yeah. And that's the truth of how the world works. Yeah, and you'd be naive to think anything else. Yeah, But the thing that annoys me, you know, the most is this idea that we're not allowed to shine a light on what is going on. If you as a government honestly believe that this is the best way to, to, you know, handle this situation, then let the journalists in, you know, let the God botherers in, let people share the stories of what is happening and then argue and prosecute your case and let the Australian public make up their mind legitimately with all the information. Yeah. The only reason that you don't let those people in is that you have something that you don't want people to see. This was what Liv was saying, that like um, journalists, Australian journalists, risk their lives to bring stories to expose corruption and injustice happening in other countries. This is actually under our watch. And why why isn't it happening? Why isn't it? And so that was part of the reason that we wanted to go. And so when Father Dave was able to connect with um, GetUp and we thank GetUp, uh, supporters who said, "Hey, do you want to send Godbotherers?" And a bunch of people said, "Yep," and pitched in money. So I mean, thanks. some people just wanted to get you all out of the country. That's right. Hope like... you wouldn't get back in. <laughs> That's so right. we're like five less Godbotherers. Hopefully, this will get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. Can we send them all? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, yeah. they only got rid of two. And Liv, who um, uh, put up with what she called our psalming, she's like, "Oh, is this another psalm?" And it's like, "No, it's not a psalm." Liv. <laughs> she's like, "This is another psalm, isn't it?" Like, it's not a psalm. That's Liv. the name of your group, the Psalmy Army. The Psalmy Army. <laughs> <laughs> non-violent church black ops or something yeah it was um okay. so literally under the so how does it work how how does describe to me what literally happens uh we got on a boat which um coordinating with the guys who were inside where uh, do you get on a boat from uh like i mean you don't have to tell me the exact location what yeah, state yeah. or what like part of the world like oh like, so initially we just flew out of australia to papua new guinea okay and, so you can just fly over there just yep. you know they're just like well yeah we're just going on a holiday png that's and right no well, one's asking I, I mean I, I preached at a bible college and a church while i was there so yeah, i could so legitimately you say so you could claim it yeah that's right tax. <laughs> It was a work trip. <laughs> it was a work trip. <laughs> and I'm just seeing some colleagues who haven't yeah. seen Freedom for four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but once we were there, we got on a boat. Once it was night, uh, they 
Um, we had to stop the boat several times, listening out for the Navy on the water, and uh, then with uh, using flash signals to come aboard when it was safe. And uh, there were different flash signals coming. It, it's it was one of the most surreal kind of experiences of my life. So you, you have so it is genuinely you know it feels like something out of a spy movie. I imagine it was the most Jason Bourne I've ever been. Yeah, like it, it was. Um, yeah. Jason born again Christian. It's <laughs> <laughs> worried we wouldn't find any jokes in this horrible topic. And um, we're starting to warm up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like it was uh and then then we got in and for seven and a half hours um Liv did her thing, turned on the camera. We just listened to guys' stories. Um And how were were they open to the idea of, you know, telling their stories? Yeah, they, they were just so pleased that we were there. Um, uh, so, uh, I'm not from a tradition that wears um, get up, but uh, uh, Father Dave is. And so, he's got the collar and he's got a dress and all the rest. And uh, the, these Muslim men were like coming up to him and saying, thank you. We're just so glad a religious leader is here. Right. You're our religious leader here. Like, so yeah. th- just even the symbol of it that they're not forgotten Um that was one of the most overwhelming things that's, about the that's experience. That's such a uh, amazing because I, I. This is the thing that I'm always puzzled by because you know that I'm I'm not a believer, yeah. but that I you know I I like a lot of the stuff that comes with it, regardless. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, you don't have to enjoy. You don't have to like believe in the guy who runs the joint to enjoy the fucking parties he. Puts that's on, right. Right. You know, like <laughs> I like a lot of the vibe, regardless yeah. of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, this idea that um, I guess the thing that I'm always puzzled by is this idea that there is so much infighting between different religions. Mm. Because I often think if you're a Muslim or if you're a Christian, you have actually a lot more in common mm. with each other than you do with me. Mm. Because like a lot of the stories you actually know are the same. You both have an idea that there is something you know, bigger than who you are and that yeah. is represented in these stories of these people and you follow these beliefs because of that. Yeah. I don't do that, but you both do that. Yeah. I mean, you believe in a different, you know, like a bit of, you know, different Given stuff your theology around and how you, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in a general vibe, like, yeah. you know, this idea of going, no, no, it's we we think it's great. There's a religious leader here because yeah, for, religion For those is on the ground, they're us. not asking, um, like, esoteric questions about theology and all the rest they they just want to like as one man um said to me uh uh, i thought god had forgotten us and you being here says that god hasn't forgotten us and that's that's pretty phenomenal when you know that somebody has been praying for freedom for four and a half years and you just rock up hoping to like do something or at least be able to go tell a story and they interpret your arriving as being an answer. Like that's pretty overwhelming and humbling and um, kind of strange to. Right. But the whole experience was like that. Will like um, so just paint a little bit more of the picture because I obviously want to get to all of this and hopefully we don't have to rush. Hopefully, yeah, we have cool. The, I'll, I'll, I'll we, relax. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we have the time just to explore this properly because. I think this is as close to a picture of this that a lot of people are going to get. Right? Yeah. So and I'd I rather think... like take a moment for you to describe, you know, where you are, what's going on, so we have a context of like, you know, even where these conversations are happening, let alone what what they're about and, yeah. and what you learn. 
So we initially show up and um, uh, Father Dave's raring to go. Like he's a boxer. He, he's probably fitter than Liv, Liv and I, even though he's like 20 years older. Actually, I'm not sure how old he is, but he's um, not in his 30s like me. And uh, so Liv's still trying to get her camera together and it's pitch black because they've cut up all the... And we're meeting people who have been in contact with leaders like Aziz that people might follow on Twitter or um, Beruz, the journalist that people might have read in The Guardian. And um, uh, we're meeting people and it's overwhelming. And um, Father Dave uh, starts... Um, just addressing all the men and the most powerful thing that he did was say that he was sorry as an Australian that he was sorry and that we're here to hear their stories and that we're um, not all Australians feel like this and do they believe that all Australia like is that in, 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 I mean because I can imagine when you're locked up like that and you're hearing it because not all Australians do no, not at uh, all. agree with it and yeah. in fact I think a lot, a substantial amount of Australians don't agree with it. I think that some don't agree with it, but don't do anything about it. And yeah, I certainly fall into that category a bit myself, you know, yeah. like I do what I can, but I certainly could do more, you know? Um, so uh, do they believe that we all think, or do they know that there are people there who don't think that that is the case? One of the most incredible things is how politically informed they are, Will. Like even in 2004, the first time I in, invited um, somebody who was a refugee into my home, I was so overwhelmed at how strong a grasp they had on Australian politics and understanding. So they're very clear, this isn't the Australian people, this is the Australian government. They understand the dynamics, they like, um, and while I was there, like people, uh, so like everybody's got mobile phones, everybody is able to read the news, they all know the kind of stuff that they're, um, like, yeah, they're, their analysis of the whole issue is incredible because they literally spend their time reading everything on it, like trying to understand. The other thing that they said is that we don't necessarily want to come to Australia. Um, some said it in ways that, like I got a message from a guy today who was like, please tell the Australian people that I will sign a legal paper saying I won't come to Australia. Just let me find freedom in any nation where I can start a new life. Other people were a bit more abrupt. They're like, why would we want to go to Australia? Look at what they've done for us for over four years. Why would we want to come and be with you? Just let us go. Just let us have freedom. And I was quite happy to wear the, the anger of people, like, if, if we're there to do nothing else but actually allow them to air that, um, that's a trip worthwhile. And again, this is another point of just the layers of cruelty in this yeah. program is this idea that it's not just us saying you can't come to Australia. Mm. Firstly, we are such a rich, comfortable country that yeah. we've decided can't someone else do it. We're just yeah. going to like outsource, you know, our responsibilities to, you know, do our fair share of dealing with this issue to some other places. Then we're not going to run those places properly. Yeah. And then when people have an opportunity to move on from those places to somewhere else, like, a like New, Zealand, New Zealand, who were saying, we'll right? take them and Australia's going, no, nah, you won't. You can't go there yeah. either. So and now we're saying you can't come to Australia, but also you can't, you go, can't go to else. other places. Yeah. And it's costing us four hundred point whatever billion dollars a year to keep you in this condition where by you, not but the way nine out of ten of you are legitimate refugees yeah and the other percentage a lot of them said i want nothing to do with this process process this is unjust i won't go through it and that's why they weren't found to be refugees so uh, i mean we, we will get to like how we did or didn't get off the island and and then um what happened but the stories of the guys who saved us that in itself just says everything that we're doing and how wrong it is. Um, yeah, it was so. 
it was so overwhelming. Like, I still feel I haven't come come to terms with with everything. Um, okay, well, let's circle back a bit still, and we'll. I think you know walk, walk through it so that we make sure that we get to all of it. Mm. So you talked to these men for how long? Uh, we were there for about seven hours. So we arrived to, um, I guess we were in there around eight thirty, and we started making move around three. So maybe my maths isn't good. And then what happens? Um, so we're leaving and we're hugging everybody goodbye and there's lots of tears and they're so overwhelmingly grateful, which is hard to understand given what they've been through. Um, and they're grateful in a situation where again, they have no water, um, no electricity, uh, no food, uh, no medical supplies other than what the local churches are smuggling in and Australians are donating and then locals are actually um, bringing into the centre at the risk of their own livelihoods and imprisonment and that like mo- so when people say oh um, everybody on Manus are violent and like it's like no that's not the reality if if Australia was to respond like the people of Manus with the kind of hospitality they've shown we wouldn't be in this problem in the first place They're, they've been incredible so we're saying goodbyes and there's all, all that happening and we're down at the beach and Father Dave being quicker than the rest of us is on the boat already um uh, uh I'm talking with Aziz and then this huge floodlight just lights up to... um, Because there's little light pollution, you can see all the stars. It's so incredibly beautiful. And because the the water's quite still, you can see the stars off the ocean. And then this floodlight where everything just kind of went black, like so disorientating, you can't see a thing. And um, somebody has pulled me to the ground and everybody's like pulling each other. There's probably 10 of us on the beach pulling each other to um, the ground and the light is moving round. We hear the engine of the boat that is smuggling us out of there. These are, again, uh, people who are from PNG who are helping us out. Um, you know, it's their lives on the line. It's jail terms for them if they don't get out there. And um, when you say a boat, what, what, what does the boat look like? How big is the boat? Like, what is... Yeah, it's not a yacht and it's not a speedboat. It's um, it's like any boat that you would see down there, the kind of boat that is made of wood and there's a outboard motor on the back and um, uh, it's like every other boat that fills up um, the the side of uh, the seashores there. Um, engine starts up, up, they start going and people are like, run. And so we we're running from the navy and um uh in between the center itself the processing center and the beach is like a well it's a it's near the equator it's all tropical so it's like this jungle and there's mud and um uh so i'm falling in the mud and uh there's scrap metal because it used to be a, a military base there where they built it that's why the military base is now directly next door and i slashed my ankle open on scrap metal um and I'm disorientated. The light, when it does hit us, like I can't tell which way is it back to the beach, which way is it to the center. And then like this tall silhouette says, brother, give me your hand. And I take this guy's hand. I didn't know who it was at the time. And we find our way back onto um, that rough sand that was the, the floor of the, the center. The military had been there earlier in the day and they'd t- torn down all the uh, walls so they were actually expecting to be forced out quite soon, which of course happened, was it yesterday? Um, and uh, so we were able to just run straight in because if we're going through the main e- 
entrance, they would have caught us straight away. Now, the military aren't allowed on there. As soon as we get on there, I can hear Olivia behind me. I didn't know where she was. So Father Dave made it out. Olivia and I um, are in the center. Um, they're like, let's hide you. Um, and before you do, like, let's wash you off. So the limited rainwater that they had, they built these wells where they're collecting rainwater off the roof to bathe in. So all these men will have like these skin conditions and every, it's a tropical. So you cut yourself like I had. Uh-huh. The chance of getting infected Infection. is just, it's going to happen. Like it, it's just what um, happens. And so they take us to the well and the limited water that they've got, that they're living off, they wash my feet. And um, uh, for the average Aussie, that means nothing. It's like, oh, that's nice that somebody washes your feet. Now, for a god botherer like me, like yeah. the significance of that—that's like, I mean, it's maybe a big, it's a big, it's a big Jesus moment. It's a, yeah, it, maybe maybe it's like hearing the Bulldogs anthem and and having flashbacks to like a win or or something like like it. It calls on something in you that it, this emotive base which goes back to a memory which names who you are, what you're a part of, what you're named for, and. Here's a situation where men who my nation have rejected, even though they are genuine refugees who need safety, have limited water, and here they are, literally doing what Jesus tells me, a pastor, to do to others, to me. And, like, at that point, I couldn't hold it together. I just started crying. And then they shined a light, and they saw that I was bleeding, and they're like, let's let's go and um, deal with this. So they washed Olivia and my feet, and they took us into their makeshift medical center um so in the 18 it was day 18 when we were there in the 18 days the food that they'd smuggled in um like local churches local people had smuggled in donations from australia um uh water medical supplies that limited stuff they had created this martin luther king would call it a beloved community so yes we saw all the despair and the horror of what the australian government was doing but we saw this like hard-fought-for, fierce, fragile hope of these men who were making sure that, you know, as a Christian, I'm like, this is like the early church. No one's in need. Everybody's sharing in common. Uh, They've even got, like, deacons set up to distribute um, uh, care for the sick and those who are mentally unwell. They brought dogs in in the um, 18 days prior to when I was there for the mental health of the men who no longer could get their medications because the Australian government had cut all supplies. And so they had teams that would take these men around and show them the birds and they were dividing up their food so they had rice enough to feed the dogs that they had brought in. Like this kind of crazy, inspiring self-organising of themselves and they took us to their, their hospital. It was just one of these hot rooms um but they had all the supplies in there and olivia and i are like no no please like you save this we'll get out of here we'll get out of here and they're like you're our guest we we have to share this with you there's no way so again like my nation's cut off all the medical supplies and they're giving me their limited medical supplies that have been smuggled in it was just the most bizarre weird and then we uh, get a text message from our friends who were smuggling us out saying, um, the sun is going to come up, the Navy know we're here, we can't get you until tomorrow night. And so the, the men in there joked that we became Australia's first detainees on Manus Island and we lived a day with them. Um, so uh, when you realise that you're 
going to have have to stay there for the night that you're not getting off how how like i mean you've explained to me how you're feeling about how you've been treated by them but how are you feeling as well as that how are you feeling about like <laughs> uh, you know i mean just like yeah. life in general like the situation you find yourself in and the ramifications you know of that decision uh the natures of patriarchy it was very different for me than it was for olivia so for me, I literally sent a, a text message um, uh, to a group of people who were supporting me at home um, of, uh, I love coming to America, Eddie Murphy, and uh, you, you know the character of the preacher, and he's talking about he helped Daniel get out of the lion's den, he helped um, Joshua bring down the walls, he helped Gilligan get off the island. So I found that clip on YouTube and literally sent it to, <laughs> sent it to So that's my response. I'm like, right. oh man, like... Um, it sinks in for Olivia that for over 1,500 days, these men haven't lived with a woman. Yep. Um, she is the only woman there and her only safety are our friends there. Yep. And um, understandably, there there is this wave of panic, which... Um, and she's a mum of two little kids and what are the consequences um, going to be for her and... Um, uh, so I think it was very different from her. Liv went on to say after our whole experience that she didn't have one interaction with a man in the camp where she did not feel completely safe, completely safe. She said, I feel more threatened in a pub in Sydney by Australian men than I ever felt with any of them, which again just says a lot about the community they were building in the midst of all of that. Um, so the the kind of feelings for us were very different and i was just exhausted and and delirious did you sleep i did live got about half an hour of sleep um i <laughs> i have this gift where i can fall asleep in a i can fall asleep in public transport i can fall asleep at a football game i if i need to sleep i'll just fall asleep i so. mean your hair is an inbuilt pillow <laughs> that's right you literally <laughs> carry around a pillow on your neck at all times you can sleep leaning against the wall with that thing <laughs> And I did. There's this really funny photo of um, uh, Berus and myself on a bed and we're supposed to be talking about the plan and I've already fallen asleep. Um, I'll I'll show you later. Okay, so uh, you sleep a little and then what happens the next day? We wake up and it's maybe 35 degrees and it feels like 100% humidity. Um, And this is what they're living in all the time uh my ankle is red and swollen and gross and um i couldn't believe it got infected in such a a short amount of time um the guys find out we're awake and they bring us breakfast which we're like don't don't feed us yeah that's how i felt as well Uh, um this is your supplies you need this we'll be fine 24 hours we can fast like and they're like um, you're our friends, you came here with us, you are the first Australian detainees, um, you are a part of us, you will eat the food with us. So they made sure that no one in the camp went without any of the food. I'm just going to pause for a second and see what's going on with the dog. <laughs> we have uh, solved the dog problem, uh, at least temporarily, by uh, placing Ramona on Jared's uh, lap and now she's getting her back scratched so i think she just really wanted some attention uh winnie was laying on her uh pillow that she likes to lay on and she does not share well ramona uh winnie will share with anyone and ramona uh, is a little bit more uh, of a princess so 
the attention she's now getting will be, uh, I think, beneficial to the podcast. Uh, I will check that we're re-recording. Yes, we are. We're back. Okay, so where were we up to? So it's the next day. Uh, you're in this, uh, you know, place where you don't. You're waiting until that night, right? You, yeah. You, you know that you can't get out, get off until that night. So yeah. what happens during the day? Um, both uh, a, a number of the guys thought that people would be so excited that we were there with them that they decide that it's probably best to keep it quiet. One of the things that happened during the day is um, uh, one of the guys was tweeting that I was in there. Right. Um, hashtag Manus. Yeah. And thank you, Pastor Jared, for being with us. Thank you, Australia, for sending him. Yeah. Hashtag Manus. And we're like, ah. Uh, yeah, XA yeah. on that hashtag, hey. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Because it would create danger for the guys that were in there. Absolutely, it would. Yeah. And they're, they're expecting that um, the Australian government would force them out, which we saw happen brutally yesterday. on still receiving pictures of guys who have been beaten. And you think about me slashing my ankle open. These guys have got lacerations and bruises and all the rest, and they're in that tropical setting at the moment. Like, it's just so full on. So we we lay low, Will. We didn't do um, much at all. Some of the guys um, came in just wanting to talk with us. Um, some of them wanted to talk about Martin Luther King. Some of them... Uh, the, they had a copy in the room where we were staying of Nelson Mandela's The Long Road to Freedom and um, how well read they are. And it, like, so we'd meet an engineer or an up and coming soccer star who had to flee Iran or, um, a, you know, somebody who studied to be a teacher or somebody who did um, business and law. Like, it's this huge resource of people with stuff to give and they're spending their, their days trying to ration food because we've cut off all food and they've got, their futures are frozen. There's no, and so our days were these incredible meeting with phenomenal people who I have no idea when they'll see any sense of a sane life or freedom. Okay, so uh, nighttime comes. Yeah. Uh, and you have to repeat the process from the previous evening. So we get a, a message from the people who were going to extract us, um, this kind of like Manus Black Ops, um, Manus Impossible kind of uh, team, and they're like, we can't get a boat to shore. We're going to need you to swim, but we have an idea. And um, they had three deep-sea divers, who were going to um, swim over a cay from out in the ocean over the reef, bringing a barrel that has a seal on it to put Olivia's $12,000 worth of like camera equipment, which is her livelihood, in, yeah, no, in, in this barrel. And then um, we would need to swim with them. And they're like, it, it's okay. Um, uh, we have... Actually, maybe I shouldn't say what they were going to use, right. but a, a way to um, do a flash signal and, and all all the rest. And uh, that was the plan. And so we're freaking out a little. Like, I surf, so I'm like, okay, like, it's it's pretty calm. This will be... But we're exhausted. Um, and we're so appreciative for the magic noodles and tuna that they shared with us that were smuggled in. Um but we haven't. I, I probably got the most sleep. I probably got four and a half hours sleep. Liv's had half an hour sleep, and we're supposed to swim 
over a cay into the ocean, over the reef, and then wait, treading water to be picked up by a boat that was going to take us to safety. So we were kind of freaking out a, a little, but we're like, okay, this is what we have to do. We have to do it. The guys arrive in the camp who were going to take us out. Um, they bring it and Olivia's camera bag doesn't fit in it. So she's freaking out. And um, so unpacking the camera, wrapping it in plastic bags, putting it in there. The inside of the container is actually wet. She's freaking out um, that it's going to leak. Um, we get the stuff in. We put our clothes in, which um, we're just soaked with sweat. And there's mud and everything from where we fell. And we hand... Uh, back once we get down to the beach, the clothes that they had lent us. So, uh, I mean, the gospel reading for this week is Jesus saying, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. So I was hungry. Yes, we were. And they fed us, even though we haven't fed them as the Australian people. Uh, I was naked. Well, we weren't naked, but like we were needing clothes and they clothed us. Um, uh, we were a stranger and they welcomed it. They pretty much just went through the gospel passage and went tick, 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 tick. Let us be Jesus to you while Australia has shown them none of that kindness whatsoever. We get down to the water with this tub. The rest of our stuff is in a uh, bag and we, we get in the water after stripping down to bra and undies. Just to clarify, I'm not wearing the bra and undies. Olivia's wearing bra and undies. I'm just wearing undies. And we funny bit in the movie though, if but, you're both right. wearing bra and undies, <laughs> just a little bit of comic levity in the middle of this like high pressure drama situation. <laughs> it's purely a comfort thing. Um, and then we start swimming, and I'm having I'm having a great time. Will like it's beautiful. It's the tropics. It's warm. There's these like lights in the water every time you take a stroke there's all these lights that come up there's the stars um olivia is not having a fun time at all uh she she put her foot down on the reef and she's got like uh some spikes in her foot um i I don't think it was coral i think it was like a so she's like is this a starfish or something am i going to stop breathing while i'm swimming out here she's totally so um we both call it calling on the name of Jesus in different ways, um, but both just, like, freaking out. Like, um, uh, keep... I think that's what uh, I said to you when uh, we were communicating <laughs> on WhatsApp. I said, Jesus, in, in, the, in the way I mean it and in the, in the way, way you mean it. it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we get out past the reef and they pull out their thing, which they're going to uh, signal with to the boat. And, uh, you know, even if English is your first language, there's... It's confusing, waterproof and water resistant. So it's not working. And it's not working so they can get the right number of flashes. Right. So we're swum for 20 minutes. We're sitting out there in the water after being exhausted and all the rest. And we can't get... And one of the guys says, I have a backup plan. And he pulls out his lighter, his cigarette lighter. And we're like a K, a K and a half off the coast, sitting in the dark in the, and he's trying to light his lighter that's been in his pocket while we've been swimming. Okay. We don't need the bra and panties scene anymore because I think the guy trying to start his lighter in the middle of the ocean will be the comic levity that we need for this part of it. But but here's the, like, Does it both ways of calling on, like, out Jesus. Yeah. It works. Like, like it actually works. It's he, a miracle. He's a, <laughs> it's a miracle, Jared. People interpret it how they want to interpret it. Yeah. Sometimes miracles actually get through. It's a miracle. <laughs> um, like, it, it actually works and... 
out of the black of the night, this boat just starts drifting towards us quickly and we have to get out of the way. And then like they, they pull us up, they pull the camera equipment up, they start up the engine and we just belt it out to sea. Oh, I mean, it was like the most surreal. How are you feeling? Like in moments like that, when you are, you know, a person who believes what you believe, is there a peace that comes from that? Or are you just as like insanely, you know, humanly fucked up and high pressure as everybody else would be in that situation? Maybe more so. Right. Like, <laughs> maybe that's why I need Jesus so much. It's like, I'm like, what? Um, but I, I was also delirious. Like, so at some stage swimming out, because it actually took us 20 minutes. So there was a right. lot of things that happened during those 20 minutes. Um, uh, and at some stage I'm like, We'll do a montage for the movie. We're not going to show the whole 20 minutes of you swimming out there. Um, I'm actually saying things like, this is actually really beautiful. Like, this is incredibly beautiful. And Olivia's like, shut the... (laughs) These will be good scenes. Yeah. These will all be good scenes. In fact, maybe we will show all 20 minutes. That'll be its own thing. (laughs) Olivia was like, shut up, Jared. That's the edited version. And understandably so. So I shut up but once we were on the boat i was just laughing like i, I think yeah. i was just delirious delirious was, hysterical it, relief laughing yeah like laughing then crying um and uh then we opened up as the boats going actually i think it's because we had to stop several times just to listen out for other boats to see if we were being followed and one of the times when we stopped we opened up the uh bucket with all olivia's twelve thousand dollars worth of what she puts food on the table with and everything's dry her camera stuff's dry everything's fine miracle Um, number two (laughs) miracle number two which also meant we were going to get the footage out because that was the other thing we're like well that's i mean we've taken you've gone there to tell this story and if you couldn't take the story out then a lot of it feels not as worth it well even though we got the um footage back and and everything and you know as we're talking about, I did this interview with Al Jazeera World News and New York Times did an interview, um, but local stuff didn't want, they weren't interested. So uh, we spoke about this like really mostly off air, but mm. let's talk about that because I actually think that's interesting in itself. Mm. Just as a side note, let's not linger on yeah, it. But yeah. like, but- and I was just going to say about that, Will, that like the sense of failure is already there because there's so much responsibility. Like these guys' stories are so precious and I feel so powerless. I live daily with people who were on Manus. Like this isn't abstract for me. At First Home Project, I live daily with refugees and the sense of like I want to do my best to see that they have freedom and, you know, have I failed? Like, have, like did we go on the wrong day? Did we should the press release be written like so that was all the stuff that like was going on for for me yesterday isn't it horrible that so much of it then still comes down to that because this Mm. regardless of how you feel about this issue this is actually just a really genuine boys own adventure fantastic (laughs) story like i mean i i know that it is so much more than that and Mm. i i don't want to belittle it in any way by Mm. saying that but i just mean from the idea of being able to sell something to the media to get people interested in it. Like there's... And a story where you actually see what these men are like. Their incredible kindness 
and courage, despite the whole thing, to actually see them and to have Australians there, like, you know, incarnational ministry, undercover journalism, like embedded journalism with the whole experience. And then to hit it on a news day where people are like, the ashes are on. I mean, the ashes are Yeah, it's important. Yeah, on. yeah, that's, it is important. But... Like I did actually remember when I scheduled this for five o'clock that there was still an hour to go in that last session of the ashes. Ooh. and thought, Will, suffering for Jesus. Yeah, Thanks, know, brother. Don't spread it around. Don't, don't let it start, him start getting a big head thinking he's got me. You know, he hasn't got me. I just like the parties he throws. So... <laughs> um, what is the major thing that you would like to say about, you know, what you learn? What what would you love people to be, you know, taking out of, you know, this experience? Yeah. Like what, you know, I, I don't want to say what did you learn because I I, I think that's too trite. Yeah. I, I want to know just genuinely what you would like people to know about, you know, this. I want people to know about Adam, who was a guy who took my hand who is from Darfur, where there was the genocide, who left the horror of that. He's the same age as my son. Um, and my son, during the time he's been in detention, has finished high school. He's in his third year of uni. He's met someone special. He's had a job and saved up to go overseas uh, with his mates, going to Japan in next month. And meanwhile, this young guy, he, he's grown up daily wondering when he'll see any sense of a life that isn't a prison. And uh, his kindness to me, his courage in that situation, the fact that his mental health has survived, I want them to know about him. I want them to know about Ali, who was who rescued Olivia when the Navy were coming, who has a scar on the back of his head where the Taliban beat him with the back of an M16 rifle, where because of his family's resistance to the Taliban's agenda, he had to find safety. And I want people to long for an Australia where we're worthy of these kind of people, Australia that can actually live up to how beautiful and incredible... I'm getting a lot of love from you. are. From I, think Ramona, right now. I think Ramona... She is, senses how emotional I am. Yeah, I think that there is an element of that. Like I, I, she's sweet. actually... She's very empathetic. Yeah. Um, and she's like also... She's she's a uh, her mum uh, was going away today and the suitcases were out and she's uh, you know she knows what that means mm. so I think she's a bit sooky today as well but I I think that she could tell from the way that you were talking that you're not here to you're not here to promote some fucking agenda you're not here to like you know self-aggrandize or you know like I've kind of you know I've enjoyed you telling the story of what. You did, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to... That's the, you know, that's the framework through which we can talk about these other things that are much more important. Uh, Well, I've never... um, And I I am Suki, because I'm not a journalist. Like, I I leaned over to live probably about four hours in, and I said to her, I feel so overwhelmed. And she just said to me, hold it back. We've got a job to do to get these stories out. I'm... I'm a pastor, right? Like, um, I'm a God botherer. I lead people in prayer, like things like, God, break our heart for what breaks yours. That was answered in a way that was so humiliating while I was there. I've never been so humiliated by compassion. Not humbled, humiliated. These guys, their concern, their care for us 
when what our nation has done to them, it was it was so overwhelming. I, I want people to know that as amazing as Baru seems like when you read his articles in The Guardian, that's all true. He is that courageous and intelligent and sharp and has that much... Uh, when they see uh, Aziz's posts and what he's organising, that is what he's really like. These, these people are phenomenal and I hope they find safety anywhere. Um, but the truth is we're missing out. These people are incredible. These people would be leaders in our nation and we're missing out and we're losing our soul doing it. Like, who are we becoming in turning these people away like this. Well, that's the thing that, you know, I have this idea of who we are in our head. And I was talking to you before about how uh, I went to bed the night before the same-sex marriage, you know, non-compulsory, non-binding, postal, <laughs> you know, survey thingy. But I was, I, I, th- I thought I knew an Australia that would vote pretty much the way that Australia did vote. And mm. I was very pleased to see that that was actually what happened. Mm. Despite, you know, the amount of, you know, lies that were told in the name of fear and, you know, uh, enough people were, you know, not convinced by that and enough people were just compassionate enough to go that other people should have the same rights as I have. And I feel like it maybe has reinvigorated a little, you know, those who are of a progressive nature that there is more support for you know those sort of attitudes in the broader community mm. well, than we have been betrayed or led to believe through the media and our shit house politicians mm. because like I do believe I and I always feel bad saying this because I know there are so many things wrong with this country this one being you know number yeah. one or number two on the list with you know the way that we've treated and continue to treat the indigenous statement and the rejection right. of the, yeah sure you know these are things that are massive issues for our country to still to confront and deal with and they will be very fucking difficult things to do. Like, yeah. we have done a lot of damage to these people through this, you know, period of our, like, history where we believe this is the right way to treat. Um, it, I am confident that we will stop. Mm. I am confident we will stop and we will look back and hopefully at a stage in the future apologies will be made and we will look back on this as the terrible thing it was. So if it's going to stop, why can't it just stop now? Now, yeah. Let's stop now. Uh, let's let's make that, let's start having like the shame and admitting that we did the wrong thing and like, you know, let's fix it now. Hmm. We fucked it up so fucking badly. Yeah, enough And we sorry can't do anything about that now. Yeah. But, but the, the least we can do now is can not continue to do what we are doing right mm. now. So I don't expect you to know how to fix this, but maybe... I want, I want to tell you something okay. about the, the yes vote. Um, young guy named Waleed, incredible guy. Actually, a friend with my mum. Another thing that was completely overwhelming being in there is like literally about 15 guys came up and said, Mama Faye, she is my mama. She, so my mum is friends on Facebook with a bunch of the people on Manus right. and sends them photos of her garden and just talks to them and sends them photos without my sister's consent of her grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and so the guys are saying, how is, how is little Harry, which is my nephew, right. how is like, uh, my sister will be so, un, like, my sister's amazing and so supportive, but she wants mum to ask yeah. permission before sending just, photos. Yeah. Yeah, like, before um, you send pictures of my children out on the internet, could yeah. you just run it so by me? My mum's friend Waleed, he yeah. comes up to me and he says, um, w- with the yes vote, with Australia giving freedom to their own people, do you think they would give freedom to us? I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask, though, mm. because that vote 
at its very heart was not about marriage. The vote at its very heart was, do you think that the Australian way is that everybody should have a fair go at, like, you know, having the same opportunities as other people? Yeah. And if that is what that vote proved, that there are a majority of people who do believe that is the case, then why cannot this be an opportunity for us to apply that more broadly and yeah. find out, you know what? I, 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 maybe no one does have a perfect way of like dealing with this problem. And maybe there will be a whole bunch of, you know, teething problems of doing something else and there'll be upsides and downsides and all those things. But can we all just agree that this is not the right way <laughs> and we have to find another way? Can we yeah. at least just start having debates about, like, our, I just wish our politicians would come on, like, this... What disappoints me the most? Because I'm trying to take a very... I mean, everybody who's probably listened this far to you, you fucking god botherer, and to me, <laughs> fucking raging fucking, you know, latte lefty, you know, that they, they know where we stand. But mm. I want to take a more pragmatic sort of view so, I can, so we can actually just fucking achieve something, mm. right? That's, which is this idea of going, A, it hasn't worked. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't deter people. Um, we're never going to be able to make... As bad as we've made the situation for these people, we're never going to be able to make it so bad that it will stop people from, you know, war zones and genocide areas, you know, trying the risk yeah. of going somewhere else. Like, we can't. And if that's our plan, like, to make, you know, something so terrible that they think going back to a genocide is better, yep. then who are we as human beings? And so we're offering people money, literally, right, to, go to go back to back, genocide. Right? So, let's let's say that out loud let's make them say that out loud and then let's as like an australian public decide whether that's something that we actually think is part of the value of you know what we are let's have a legitimate debate about Mm. these things i would admire either of the major political parties Mm. if they came out and said okay this is a this is a really really hard problem and we might not have a perfect solution, but we realise that the solution we have right now is not perfect mm. and we are both going to endeavour to come up at least with something that isn't better than what we have right now. Yeah. It might not be perfect. Yeah. The next thing we have, even if the next thing that we came up with was 50% better than the thing that we have right now, yeah. that would still be a major, major And we don't have to be that in creative. We've done it before. Australia's right. done it before. We did it in the 1970s. I mean, John Howard released all children and their families from detention in 2006. It's not even like ancient history. This, and forgive the preacher lines, but like this isn't a right wrong. This isn't a right left issue. I can't even do the lines. This is a right wrong issue. Like right. Um, the the reason why people get on boats is the same reason that people jump from burning buildings. It's because if you stay, you die. And we pat ourselves on the back because we've boarded up the windows and we're like, oh, no one's coming here anymore. No one's jumping to their death on a boat anymore and you're like yeah because they're dying elsewhere Australia we have the capacity to lead the whole region in compassion we just need some real leadership from the major parties it's such a we have a such a rich uh, privileged way of looking at the world mm. we think nothing of the contradiction but of the fact that I you know I myself fly all over the world. I go to America. Like, I live half mm. my year in America. Mm. I am literally an immigrant to America. I have a visa and stuff, but, like, 
I'm just going over there. You know what I am? An economic fucking refugee. <laughs> like I was going over there to take somebody's fucking job. Like literally, that was my aim. I was going to go over there, take someone's job, suck some money out of their economy, and then criticize their ways. I would yeah. criticize their leaders. I would undermine, you know, their democracy and their policies. Like, and we celebrate it when our movie stars do that. Look, like anybody who's seen because Thor, I'm a fucking rich white guy who's done something good here, so I'm allowed to go and do that over there. Mm. But if but we judge these people who aren't doing that by these same unrealistic standards that mm. we celebrate other people for. Even on, on that level, it's a comical, comical fucking idea. Yeah. Um, but there is nothing comical about this. Do you see... Do you have hope that this is a moment that might result in, you know, some change? And can you offer some advice for people who are listening to this, who want to do something. I noticed that the Saturday paper today published Amazing, uh, right? Malcolm Turnbull's uh, phone, phone number, number to ring. And I think that there is some great power in... Like, we, you don't need to wait for them to post out a fucking form to see if you like this or not. You're allowed to ring them. Yep. That's actually how a democracy works. Ring yep. your local member, yep. uh, ring the Prime Minister. And they have to take your name yep. and your address and ask for them to get back to you. That's, not that's just first you, name. Not ex- just That's you exercising your democratic, democratic right. right. Yep. So do that. Actually yep. put pressure on. Don't just say, oh yeah, that's a good idea, yep. which is what I have done so far. You know. <laughs> no, man, you've done And it. make up all your excuses of why you shouldn't do it. You know, do it. Yeah. Just do it. Take the time and do it. Yeah. So that's, that's the first thing you could do. But like, what else can you do? Uh, some people will say, oh, we got to wait for the wind to change. I'm just going to flap my arms until there's a breeze. Like, uh, just people need to get out there and do, do stuff. And this whole situation, the bravery of those on Manus since Australia, like, turned off the power and the water and everything else to actually say, we are, we are going to demand that we not be made invisible again we're actually going to um, resist this yes because the center's not finished yes because it's not safe to go there but because we want safety long-term safety because of that they have inspired so many of us to take action so in perth in my hometown um in last two weeks there have been three groups of church leaders who have risked arrest some of them liberal party voters um some of them like never been in trouble with the law before who have sat down in politicians offices and said we're not leaving until you give an answer to when these men will find freedom because it's been four and a half years there's mass rally um in melbourne tomorrow in sydney to uh, like on, on Sunday, I don't know when this is going out. Well, but... I w- I'm going to try to get it out as quickly as possible so people can hear. So maybe they're hearing it. Like the best is they're probably hearing it today. So if, yeah. you've, if you've got up on Sunday morning and this has arrived in your, you know, podcast world and um, you're hearing this, then you can actually go out and about today. Get, get to a rally. But um, the incredible thing about the men, when I was talking to Aziz and Beruz, is I said, I think Australians, when they see what's actually happening here, they'll agree with your ends of freedom and needing safety, but they won't necessarily understand your means. And their means are peaceful protest. Uh, and they said, we, this has become a university for us. This is where we've learnt that this is the only way that is successful. All their passing around of Martin Luther King's books and Nelson Mandela's books, Australians need to learn the same lesson. We can't have the attention being police clack. Cl- clash with protesters and that's the story people need to non-violently 
make some peaceful trouble until we see real freedom. So, um, of course, legally, I would never encourage anybody to break the law. Um, uh, but I would encourage people to follow Jesus. I'm a pastor, right? And there's no question that he ended up in jail all the time. They even put him on a cross. So did most of the New Testament writers. They wrote from prison. If that's what it takes, people need to do what they need to do to nonviolently see freedom for these men. And I want to encourage people to get creative, stay humble, stay informed, find two or three other people that you can do something with. Start by meeting with your local politician if it still doesn't go anywhere. Um, start by reaching out to local networks in your um, neighbourhood, in your cities, find out how you can get involved because we can't wait for the winter turn. We have to turn it. We have to do it together. All right. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to talk to you. I, I really Thanks, bro. Uh, am pleased that you uh, had the time to come over and talk to me about all this and I do hope that, uh, you know, if you, if you are listening to this, I'll tell people, uh, he's, uh, okay, so here's something I was going to... Uh, talk about because somebody messaged me during the week and i guess this is the thing and i'm please i always hate when i tell anything that is about my own self-improvement or my attempts at my own self-improvement that it comes across like you're trying to but like i am such a hideously flawed person and i judge not is part of the gig right will so you you just you be yourself thank you i appreciate that i was talking more to the people at home right but uh, (laughs) i hope that I'm the sort of person that when I am confronted by my failings makes an attempt at addressing them, mm. you know, or like, you know, thinking about them and, and taking the time to go, you know what, that thing that I did to that person or that time that, you know, I put myself in this situation or whatever on reflection that that was inappropriate and it's not enough to just go, oh, that was inappropriate or that was, you know, unacceptable the way I behaved or whatever it is. But to to say, well, am I the sort of person who wants to behave like that? Mm. And if I am not, then what things am I putting in place in my life to prevent me from ever so that that so I can look on that moment as being an aberration rather than a pattern? Like a pattern yeah, right? yeah, totally. And it's got to be the same also with you know just the little. Sometimes those things can just be little things. So anyway, I got an email the other day and sometimes when it comes to emails I get about the podcast, I do have the attitude of fuck off, it's a free podcast. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm glad you have your feedback, but this is not a professional radio show. Uh, I will do it how I do it, you know, and you can like it or not like it, but mm. I'm not going to change it because no one's paying me to do it. So um, I'll do it my way. But somebody wrote an email and offered a, a really good bit of advice and they said, I know you don't do advertisements on philosophy. They said, what about every week you pick like a, you know, charity or a cause or something and you do an advertisement for it. And my initial response was, and this, and I guess this was the thing I was trying to get to about my moment of like hoping that I'm, you know, so initially I was like, oh, Tom Ballard at the end of his podcast, like ask people to name like a cause. I don't want to like be, you know doing the thing that Tom Ballard did. You know, like there was We that, all love Tom. You know, there yeah. was just that moment in my head of going, you know, like, and oh, I love Tom Ballard's podcast. That's how I know that, yeah, that's right. that he does that thing. And I've been on it also. No, I think he's amazing. And I don't I, think he would mind if he copied. Well, the thing that I then thought was exactly that, which was, of course, you're mm. being fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's for the... yeah. It, it'd be great if everybody did. 
Mm. Like if, if if it got to the point where everyone at the end of their podcast asked to, like the guests to nominate a cause or a charity that they felt passionate about, and that was a way that mm. like they they got to just spread the word of that a little bit, um, eh, then of course, in fact, fuck it, yeah, and it'd be great, and they can call it the Tom Ballard thing. I don't mind, you know. Hey it, Tom, this be, is your thing, right? We be, love it. It'd be great. We're it. It'd be great if every podcast did it. Mm. Uh, I can't control every podcast, but <laughs> I, I, as of today, I am starting by a acknowledging that that I think that's a really good idea from that person who uh, messaged it through, and I'm going to start with you. So, uh, you, I mean, obviously, you have a whole bunch of things, but where can people like if they wanted to genuinely support something, like you mm. know, if their way of going, you know what, I. I'm not going to. I'm just not the sort of person who's going to meet with my local member of parliament, or I'm not the sort of person who's going to do this. But I am the sort of person who wouldn't mind, you know, cutting a check to somebody to somebody else who is, you know, passionate about doing those sort of things or those projects. So, uh, give us a plug for something, a charity plug. This is the Tom Ballard Memorial Charity Plug. Thanks, Tom. Um, Asylum Seeker Resource Centre are the leaders in Australia in terms of... Con, um, in his blustering, bold beautifulness, makes things happen. So uh, I would encourage, um, particularly if you're in Sydney and Melbourne, because it is up here in Sydney, I think it's in Brisbane now as well, but there are local groups as well. So if you're in Western Australia, CARAD, um, uh, don't send me checks, don't um, do that kind of stuff, uh, but... They're probably some really great places to start. Also, spend time listening to those on Manus. There's a great little podcast that goes for like six minutes and it's Aziz and it's just called The Messenger and it's just a a phone call with him for six minutes and episodes come out. Follow the guys on Twitter and see their stories. They're the most inspiring. They are the Vincent Lingaris and the Charlie Perkins and the... um, uh, Vandana Shivas and Dorothy Days and Martin Luther Kings and Nelson Mandela's um, that Australia has at the moment, and ironically, we won't let them in. So look, so, look so to those guys. That is a really like I really do believe in those sort of little things. That you know, like you, maybe you're a person out there who's like, I'm not going to ring my you know member of parliament. I'm not going to you know cut someone a check, mm. <laughs> right? Those simple things that you can do to show that you are still supporting, which mm. is to follow them on Twitter, mm. to follow these people from like like you said, follow Con on Twitter, yeah. and put up you know put up with the fact that you're like, wow, man, this guy, I you know, him. I love him front so street, much, right? Yeah, but read it and yeah. understand it, and like because what happens is if you just follow a few of these people, then suddenly you're just going to be better informed because every yeah. time you turn on your Twitter, you're seeing people share their stories, yeah. and so. That can be a starting point. Totally. If that, if all you do at the end of this podcast, if you've got to this far into the podcast and you want somewhere to start, go and find a bunch of those people. Yeah. Hear the stories of the people who are actually experiencing what is yeah. going on. Yeah. And at least counterpoint that with what else you're reading in the the mainstream media yeah. here. And and insist that we evacuate now. Just like make it a goal to talk to somebody each day about the fact that unless we raise our voices, these men will continue to be hidden. Off to, they just need freedom, not necessarily here, anywhere. I hope we get them. But if not, just start the conversation. If if there are God botherers listening, um, join Love Makes Away. Like, um, uh, it's easy to bake some cookies, say some prayers, sit in a politician's office, be carried out by those who serve us in blue and bless them on the way out. And... Um, 
uh, put up with a fine, that's made a huge difference. So um, if, if you're a God bother, do that. If not, there are other, if you're just from the church of Wilsong and you're a regular Will listener, um, there's lots of ways generally and hooking up with the Psalm Seeker Resource Centre is a great way to do it. Thanks, mate. Ramona has got very passionate again about the topic. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, uh, thank you so much for giving me your time uh, I'm not going to do any plugs for anything else at the end of this episode but um, I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, um, if you liked it oh, here's what I would say you know maybe it's the sort of thing you would like to share with someone who you know would like to hear this sort of stuff you think they would benefit from you know having a, a conversation that is you know about this and around mm. this but isn't going to you know, bang it down their throats and feel like it's and a lecture. Maybe I'll do this for you, Will. Yes. Um, what would really help any podcast is if you like it, go into iTunes and give it five stars and write a good review. That That's, pushes it up. So yeah. Will isn't going to say that because he's no. humble, um, but I'll say it. You, your well, your you, podcast you is one of my favourites. I love who you get on. I love the diversity of people you get on, from the comedians to the thinkers to the journalists to everybody. It's brilliant. So... Um, that's one way that people can help Will out. Uh, that's a, And you know what? It is actually a good way to direct people to this because sometimes with this, if people don't know the names of the person, that mm. they will maybe skip over one or whatever. If you went into the iTunes and you reviewed it and you said that, you know, the Jerry McKenna episode about Madness is like good, then people would read that and go, I'll go on. Give anyway, all right, you've made it this far. You can deal with the plugs. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. Thanks, mate. 